Every year, more churches are closing their doors than opening them. In a study conducted by LifeWay Research in 2021, 4,500 churches in America closed their doors and only 3,000 were opened. I often ask pastors, if your church were to close, would your neighborhood notice? What good is your church doing in the community? I'm Haley Gray Scott, and this is Christian Curious. Each week, we tackle some of the most hardest pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm speaking with Catherine Pearson, founder of the Good Maker Society based in London, about her work and how individuals and organizations can seek societal good. Catherine holds a degree in business and finance from Sheffield Hallam University and is currently studying a master's in theology, imagination, and culture at Sarah College in Salisbury. These fields of study represent Catherine's passions, and at the center of her work, she is asking, how could the world be better, and what part can we play to make it so? Catherine, welcome to Christian Curious. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, um, I was introduced to your work by a, um, a a common colleague that we have, and I was just fascinated by the work that the Good Maker Society is doing. And I was, I would love to hear you talk about um, the origins of the Good Maker Society, what it is, and um, its mission and its vision. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, well, so I. It's something that's definitely evolved over time. So <laughs> rather than saying that's the moment at which it started, but I, I have a background um, in project management and um, working in the public sector in the UK. Um, I also uh, have an in- had an interest in the idea of ethical business and how businesses can make a profit um, without exploiting people. That was my original question um, 20 plus years ago when I studied for my business degree. I wanted to answer that question, was it possible? And this was before there were things that we call today social enterprises or the social enterprise model. Um, There were a few things happening in the UK around fair trade. So we were looking at, um, you know, coffee and chocolate and sugar uh, coming from... um, African continent and and how um, I guess all these sort of different interactions in that industry um, can lead to certain exploitations and so there were a number of people looking at that uh, that process to see how they could make it better for the for farmers and for producers um, and giving them the fair trade certificate but there was something that I was thinking but that's just you know, that's just a couple of commodities and that's really good. But I, I've got a feeling, I've got a sense that there is, um, that we're not asking these questions about everything, about all of our products, about all of the things we eat and all of the services. And it came to a head when a friend of mine was um, heavily pregnant with her first child and quite unwell. And her husband was working for an ethical investment company. And there weren't many of those at the time, ethical investment companies. I was really curious because Along, uh, a lot of his um, companies that he worked for were actually churches and dioceses in the UK, and mm-hmm. they were looking at how they could invest their pensions. I thought this sounds, uh, you know, in things that weren't like arms and tobacco and, and all of that, stuff that we know quite a lot about today. But anyway, this was really interesting to me. And while she was pregnant, she got very ill and had to go to hospital, but the company that he worked for did not allow him to have time off to help her and to be with her. 
And it just, there was just such a disconnect for me. I just didn't understand that. Right. You know, I didn't understand how you can be trying to change the world in one way, but in another, um, you know, you're, it's just, you're just not treating your, your colleagues and your staff right. You know, that's just not, that just didn't make sense to me. So that was why I was exploring this question. How can we make a profit and do it without exploiting people and treating people fairly? And that's across the board. So from the people that work in organizations to the people that produce products and services and what have you. So anyway, that was my, that was the thing I was interested in. And then I got into project management and the public sector, which isn't profit making. Um, but I did learn about how to, um, how to make things happen, basically, how to go from idea to, to launch um, using certain techniques. Yeah. Um, and, and that is something that's really difficult for a lot of people um, yeah. to to make a, an idea come to life. That's it. Yes, something that you see in your mind's eye, but you don't quite know how to actually make it happen. Um, that, yeah, definitely is something that throws people. Um, and so I, I ended up moving to London 12, 13 years ago um, and m met a number of people who needed help with that, needed help with um, getting things off the ground and getting things going. Um, and I got involved with a number of projects that were around social enterprise. And again, um, that was quite a new term back then, but again, it's very prevalent now. And I really loved it. I was bringing lots of different things together. I was bringing my questions about business and profit and you know how we can operate. Um, there was some, uh, and the project management stuff in there, like getting stuff off the ground and making it actually happen, working to budget and a time scale and all of that. Um, but also I felt like, the faith side of things was really linking in. Um, a lot of the projects were coming from Christians and Christian organizations were wanting to move into this idea of social enterprise. And so I just found myself in a really sweet spot of like, this is everything that I am interested in all coming together. Yeah, you're, you're sort of you at the right place in the right time. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that you know, in looking at some of the, the data that, you know, the idea of social enterprise and trying to do good in, in the world around us is, I think in some ways, the UK may be a little bit of he ahead of the, at the US in trying to, to figure this out. And that's why, mm -hmm. you know, your work interests me so much as far as, you know, when I, when I look at churches, when I have worked with you know, Christian organizations or even individuals, a lot of times, you know, there is a difficulty in knowing what to do. So, for example, you know, I was teaching a course last semester and a student of mine um, was her action research project was to figure out how a new church could impact the neighboring community. How could it create social good within that context and also be a healthy entity in and of itself. And so your work really speaks into that um, a great deal. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you, you write on your, you've written that you see spirituality connected to all of work. And I was mm. wondering, you know, what are your thoughts behind that? And how could, how could people in organizations start to think about the spirituality of their work, even if they're working in secular industries? Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a big subject and I, it's something that I um, have just really touched on recently, probably through my studies. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure I've, I've got all the answers on this one, but, um, I mean, I feel like there is something, um, I mean, I, I feel like we, we, we're created to do good work. Um, I think we're created to, well, I think we're created to do work. And, and I do believe that that is to do good work, um, rather than, you know, something that is, um, again, damaging or exploitative or, or what have you. Um, so something that is constructive, maybe creative. Um, so that, anyway, that's, that's something that, that I think is important. I think that, um, we are all given unique gifts and talents that we should find ways to put to use. And I think when we find the right work that fits our skills, um, that that feels like we we're sort of in. I mean, other religions might call it flow or what have you. Like mm-hmm. we're in that in that sort of place of zen, right? We know it's not difficult. Um, it's not difficult to us, and we feel like we've had a sense of achievement or accomplishment at the end of the day. So that, that, there's some stuff around that. There's also a lot about um, mental health. I think if we can do stuff that where we feel like we have a purpose and we have meaning um, associated with the work that we do, then that can really help us um, sort of in a mindful way um, and with our mental health. And also if we do work, when we work with people, it gives us a sense of community um, and we're pulling together with others to, to um, achieve some sort of end goal. And that can be really rewarding too. So I think that there are all sorts of different jobs that people can have where they can um, sort of tap into the, the spirituality or the spiritual gift that that task or work might have for them. Um, yeah, I think, but I do still think it's a challenge. Um, it is, because, especially know, if you may you, feel underpaid or undervalued by your employer. Yes. yes you know, such as the experience with your friend's husband who you know, yes. was doing his best and they were not providing, you know, proper care for their employees and not recognizing the emotional and social need for time off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it just goes back to that idea of ex- exploitation again. Um, so you, yeah. you all, you've also mm-hmm. said that you have a passion to see justice, hope and wholeness manifest in people's lives. And so, mm-hmm. You know, there's two parts to, you know, fleshing that out a little bit. First, what are the biggest barriers that you see, you know, for people to achieve that, you know, when they're working for a company? And, okay. Would you mean like a just a for profit? Um, yes. For, mm-hmm. Corporate kind of company. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think that can be really tricky. So, I mean, I've. I came across this book um, by a woman called uh, Tara um, Isabella Burton called Strange Rights. Um, and in it, she said that um, she sees that religion offers four things to people. And this is one is uh, meaning. Um, how do we understand the world and why is the world the way it is? Purpose. What is um, our role in the world? Community and ritual. Um, and then, and then she sort of starts looking at all sorts of other things that are happening in the world outside of like the, um, the sort of main religions to say that people are finding these four things in these different activities. So I think if you're, if you sort of are in a, in a work situation, um, where you don't really have a sense of purpose or you don't know quite what you're doing, I think that that, or why you're doing it, I think that that could be really hard. 
But if you can take a step back and look at your whole life, and if you have a good sense of, you know, you're asking questions about the world, why it is the way it is, um, if you can, if you have some sort of community somewhere, is that at home or is that at, in your neighborhood or is that in the workplace? Maybe, maybe you might not love the work that you do, but maybe the people that you're with offer, offers community to you. Um, I think that that can, that can really help. Um, and if, you know, your purpose is to support your family and this job is the way that you need to do that, then, and if it's just for a time, then that's an important thing to, to take on board and to acknowledge. At Denver Seminary, our online, on-campus, and hybrid graduate education programs prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our mission will equip you for any ministry calling. To learn more about our degree programs, certificate opportunities, and classes, visit denverseminary.edu. my very trying to do this as a teenager my very first job was actually cleaning churches and I have this very vivid memory of you know this is pretty crazy to mention but um (laughs) cleaning the toilets in this church and just thinking what meaning can I find in this and then you know working through the idea that okay I'm doing this so that you know people can worship in peace and quiet and cleanliness, you know, I mean, I'm helping the worship process. Um, and I was 15 at the time when I was doing that. And then I went on to, I waited tables, you know, all the way through college and where can you find meaning in that? And I found meaning in the community that I had with the people that I worked with. And also with the people, if I was, you know, on my game, as, as we say, if, yeah. if I was, if I came in with a good attitude, I mean, I didn't always come in with a good attitude. I was a teenager. Um, so I, yeah. but I would minister and I would try to engage and, you know, be a force for good with the people that I served when they came into yeah. the restaurants. And so trying to find meaning in the most menial of jobs, um, you know, I remember yeah. trying to do that in order to, to keep me going beyond just paying the bills, um, that was not enough purpose and meaning for me. Um, the one job I struggled with is when I had to fry chicken at a convenience store. I could not find meaning in that. Um, but, um, that was very difficult. But apart from that, I've been able to do that. But a lot of people, um, really do struggle to find meaning and purpose in, in their jobs. Yeah. I think, I think it is hard. I think, I do believe that it, it helps to start with asking, answering questions about meaning. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a lifelong, that's just a lifelong exercise to keep asking why is the world like, like it is and um, how does, how do things work and how do, um, how do we um, operate amongst ourselves? You know, how do we organize and what what is society and all of those kind of things? I think those are lifelong questions, but, um, and some, and religion and faith, um, whether it's Christianity or another does offer us some little hooks that we can, um, we can center ourselves around. Yeah, when, so, when people yeah. or organizations come to the Good Maker Society, what kind of specific questions are they asking? Um, they're mainly asking, how can I, 
how can I get my idea off the ground? How can I get going? Um, or how can I scale it? Um, those are two of the main questions that they're asking. Um, sometimes um, those, that's when I'm working with individuals. If I'm working with an institution, they can be asking, how can we support people to, um, to do more interesting things, to do more good things that you know, reach neighborhoods, reach communities? Um, what's the environment that people need in order to be able to, to try, try things out and to start new things? So what have you found, like, when you're working with individuals, what, what seem to be the biggest challenges for them to get their idea off the ground? What uh, personal um, challenges are they facing? So there's a couple of things, and it's all quite often personality-related. So um, confidence is one of those things. So either having... Um, sort of self-confidence that they are the person to do this and um, that they can do they can do this and they need to sort of take a bit of a, a leap of faith. Um, so I've definitely found that is quite a big one. Um, other people, it's not necessarily that they're too confident, but they might have lots and lots of ideas. Mm-hmm. And they're starting with this whole-scale, world-changing vision and they don't quite know how to dial it back to find the first thing that they need to do in order to start, right. you know, start doing something. So we often try and um, help people to think about how they could maybe just do a couple of tests of their ideas. What does a small pilot look like? How can you um, figure out with all that this big vision that you have, what's the, the, the key lever that's going to create the change that you want to see? And can we, we sort of focus on that one bit rather than all of it in one go um that's often a bit of a, a challenge uh so, so those 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 things and then after that um it can be having the right people to help them so trying to find the right team to be with we have this expression that we say no lone range is allowed uh-huh. um although i work with individuals initially I really um, push people to find a team you know try and get some people to coalesce around this idea um, and see who you know who bites and who's interested in working with you because that's a good indicator and a good test of a good idea that other people will buy into it and other people want to make it happen yes and that they will support you too yeah, because if you launch into an idea or if you start to try to do something well without, you know, without proper support, without community, you often feel very, you often get the sense of isolation and loneliness, and that can really impede your success. Yes. Because it yes, undermines that's... confidence, you know? Um, yes. If you don't have anyone around you to kind of cheer you on, then you can start to lose confidence. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that we've experienced with people coming from the church settings is that they have these great ideas to start a social enterprise or a campaign or a charity or something. And they're looking to their church community for support and help with that. But because it's not directly connected to growing the church, um, and maybe growing the congregation, um, then the, the church isn't necessarily sure that they're the people that can support them or put resource into to helping them. 
Yeah, um, and that really ties back to my opening with um, all of the churches that, you know, that when I work with churches specifically, I will ask them, you know, will the neighborhood notice? And, yeah. you know, because, you know, that is a sacred space that, you know, is in that neighborhood and can be a force for social good. Um, one yeah. of the churches that I worked with um, received a building that was abandoned. It was an old church that was abandoned by the Methodists, and they, the Methodist, um, chose to give it to this new church plant. And right. immediately they began reaching out to the to the neighboring community, which was a very poor minority community, and started having. Uh, you know, food drives, and they started hosting breakfasts every Sunday. They started um, getting to know the neighbors, and the neighbors knew them. And immediately, almost immediately, that neighborhood was transformed. But because it was a church plant, it had the flexibility to be able to adapt really quickly. But when you're working with older churches, they may yeah. be in a trench where they're conserved about cons- they're, they're concerned about self-preservation. They're That's concerned right. about growing yeah. that community whereas and not realizing that one way to do that is outreach in the local community. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um yes. I I, I in some ways I you you are like lighter lighter of foot when you're a church plant and sort of more um, institutional organization is definitely slower to change and slower to new things. That is true. Um, I think I was also sort of thinking of um, people with ideas that might do change that is even outside of their neighborhood. So it could be, um, you know, it could be a camp, a, a national campaign um, on something like some environmental issue or, um, or it could be an online community that reaches people nationally and internationally. Um, if it doesn't directly uh, benefit the church, then again, they don't really know if and how to support those ideas on a on a church scale, which I find um, which I find a bit I don't know, just a bit sad, really, because I think churches have so much resource. And I don't mean in terms of money. I mean, in terms of the skill and experience of their congregation, you've got people that could probably come together and support those ideas um, to make a difference. And they could incubate those ideas into something with all of that skill that's in that congregation. Um, Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not facilitated. So have you seen churches actually respond positively to any ideas? Um, on those sca- on the, with those sort of scales. Uh, gosh, let me think. Um, to be honest, in the UK, I haven't, I haven't really, that doesn't mean it, they haven't, it hasn't existed. I just haven't, and it's possible I haven't come across them because people haven't needed help <laughs> because right. they found it in their community. But now I've I've just heard of a few too many examples where people have come to me because they've gone to their church for help, um, and they haven't really known what to do with them. Yeah, and um, that's unless, unless they're wanting to start a new community, worshiping community, or small congregation, or do some sort of direct outreach work, they just don't really know what to do. 
you know, and that is the the challenge right there for, you know, specifically churches is, yeah. you know, how can we, you know, with the resources that we have, not just the financial resources, as you mentioned, how yeah. can we encourage churches to, to play a bigger part in societal good? Yeah. I mean, I had one girl, um, call me because she, so she's a trained beauty therapist and she wanted to set up her own beauty therapy company. Um, and she felt really passionately that she wanted to be, um, sort of on the high street of a small town. She felt it was really important to be in the market square as it were metaphorically, um, as a Christian do offering these kind of beauty services because she said, uh, the society's idea about what beauty is, is all screwed up and all messed up. It's not a biblical understanding of what beauty is. Um, and she felt there was something she could do um, with, with her training and with, with her work um, to work with, with people on that. She also said there was a real um, emphasis on sort of um, Eastern religions when it came to health and well-being and beauty. And she thought, I think that there is some other sort of, I think there are some biblical truths that people could have reinforced in their sort of well-being journey or that that she could provide for them um and and, but she said I wasn't interested in growing a congregation I wasn't going to this wasn't going to be really overtly Christian so that I was going to invite all of my customers to church or something like that I just wanted to be a presence in the marketplace um and and that you know and that's just one of the ideas that that came to me uh because her her church recommended that she called me because they said we, we don't know how to support that. Wow, um, that is a great idea. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was great. Well, yeah, Catherine, you know, I just love the work that you're doing. I think it's really innovative. I think that it's important. I think it needs to be replicated um, here in the U.S. and replicated in the U.K. too, because mm-hmm. what you're doing is so important. Um if, li- if listeners want to contact you specifically about, you know, getting help with their ideas, where can they find you? Um, they can find me uh, on our website, um, goodmakers.org. Uh, um, and they can email me at Catherine at goodmakerssociety.org. Oh, in fact, sorry, the website is um, goodmakerssociety.org. Goodmakerssociety.org. Catherine, thank yes. you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Christian Curious with me, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com if you've missed any part of this show or if you would like to find out more information about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious. Stay curious.